Nick Bruning, Gavin Hackney, and Bevan Sturgis-Smith. What a thrill. I've never seen you in the... Oh, yes, I have once or twice before. How are you, gents? Good, thank you. I'm Fantastic. good. Fantastic. Yes, lovely to have you here. Um, end of financial year time. I asked uh, Ross Solly this morning as he prepared his tax return. He says he hasn't even done last year's. Uh, people who haven't done last year's, do they have reason to be worried and concerned? Is there still time? Well, I, I, I think, Jeff, they're going to miss out. They've got the $900 bonus that they're supposed to be getting if they haven't got their tax return. Yeah, they have before. missed out on that. Yeah, they? if they don't get it in by the 29th, 30th of June, then they're not going to get it. So there's a good incentive. Yeah, it is. Now, gents, what does it mean this time of year? Let me start with you, Bevan. Um, end of financial year? Well, I guess in the past, it's, it's meant people checking what profits they may have made during the year and may maybe making some adjustments and those sorts of things. But I guess given the year that we've had, there's not too many people sitting on too many trading profits as such. So what we're really focusing on at the moment is there's a couple of sort of uh, new issues where people can uh, invest in companies that are raising capital and they all expire 1st of July, 2nd of July. So we're running around madly making sure people get their applications in to, uh, to take up these new shares. So it's a little bit different this year. Okay. In the world of property and real estate, Gav? Well, quite often we see investors uh, racing into uh, to prepay interest uh, prior to the end of the financial year, revaluing assets and, and restructuring their finances probably more than anything. And we're seeing probably some companies, uh, they get their assets revalued at the June the 30th, although probably not necessarily rushing in prior to June the 30th to get them valued. We probably do that retrospectively, progressively over the course of the next three months. Yeah. So it's just a, perhaps a, a snapshot assessment of how the last year's been looking for their asset values and a bit of prepaying interest. Nick Bruning. Yeah, Jeff, same thing. I mean, people are looking at a pretty bleak year in terms of their investment returns, and uh, certainly the tax isn't necessarily an issue. But look, this is the time of year when most of the thresholds get indexed, and particularly those dealing with Centrelink, the income test, the assets test, um, te the various thresholds for superannuation all go up on the 1st of July. So people are very much uh, trying to get their plans in place for the next financial year and getting things sorted out rather than necessarily tidying up this year. But of course, you know, it's not long until they have to see their accountant or tax advisor will get online and do their tax returns. So perhaps gathering up the bits and pieces of paper. Now, because we have these three wise heads here, what we'll do, we'll take some talk back before we get to 9.30. We'll disappear for news and maybe a track, but then come back to talk because I think a lot of people will want to, to glean as much information as they can from you, Nick Bruning, Gavin Hegney and Bevan Sturgis-Smith. And my guests in the studio on this Thursday morning to take your calls on 1300 222 You might want to send a text question to 199 I think it can be just about anything, but before they answer, of course... We have to do this, but only once, not three times. The following segment is general in nature and should not be taken as personal professional advice. Listeners should seek their own independent assessment from a qualified advisor and not rely solely on the general nature of information in this program. Now, excellent. I think all we need our callers to do is say is this question is for Bevan or Gavin or Nick or any or all of you. And as you know, gents, uh, feel free to, to tackle one another, bump, do whatever you need to to be part of this. This is Barry. Good morning to you, Barry. G'day, Jeff. Keeping right. in mind there's an umpire here who will make sure you do it fairly. Ex-umpire. Ex <laughs> the best kind. <laughs> Off you go, Barry. G'day, Jeff. I have a question for Nick. My wife and I are part-age pensioners because we get bank interest from two savings accounts in joint names, and I receive a ComSuper pension. Do we have to split the interest 50-50 for tax, or can the percentage be varied to, say, 25 75. Thank you. 
Thanks, Barry. Um, look, your uh, your question is sort of answered by the ownership of the asset. Uh, basically, the tax office looks at how the, the asset is owned and apportions the income on that basis. So if it's a joint account, uh, then it's 50-50. And perhaps if there was a third party involved, uh, yourself, your wife and uh, one of the kids, then it'd be a third each. So uh, you don't have the option of distributing it. Uh, I mean, there are ways of doing it through trusts and stuff, which are way more complicated and way more expensive than anything that you'd want to set up to achieve that as an outcome. Um, bearing in mind, of course, that um, the income from ComSuper is in your name and therefore it's taxable, as is the age pension. In the future, you might even think about putting all of the bank account in your wife's name if she doesn't earn any other income, because overall you might save tax for the whole family that way. Barry, thank you for your question. Helen, good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, just chasing some information from these three wise men. I've got some shares, unfortunately, in a company called AED and I bought them when they were about $8.50. They're not worth a lot now. Um, I have sold a block of land and will have some capital gain. Would it be worth getting rid of the AED and realising the loss in this financial year, or will I still be a young woman by the time they come back? <laughs> I'll hang up and listen to your reply. Okay, Helen, and that's, uh, you will be a young woman when they come back. Okay, Bevan here. I guess that's my uh, area of influence or expertise. Um, I guess the, the issue, though, that I have, unfortunately, is AED Oil or AED Oil Company um, is one that Macquarie are providing corporate advice to, so I'm precluded from actually speaking about it. Okay. So I do apologise for that. Um, it's on my media unspeakables list, so yes. I can't speak about it. Um, Helen, you are still young and you still have your <laughs> AED shares. Um, what about... Um, Selling blocks of land. We didn't ascertain where the blocks of land uh, might be. Gav, it might be an opportune time to, to bring uh, you in. How is the market looking at the end of this financial year? Well, if we compare it to last year, end of financial year, it's looking particularly attractive. Um, we've certainly seen probably the most of the price drops uh, that we've seen in the last 12 months, they've now stopped. Uh, that includes the top end and the lower end. Yeah. First home buyers has really worked to treat in the lower end and it's shored up values in the in the up to $500,000 category. We've probably got investors sitting on the sideline waiting to jump in in probably January after the first home buyers boost runs out. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a bit of backlog of investor activity there. I suppose the only flow-on consequence of that is we'll see first home buyers having bought rather than renting mm -hmm. and investors buying homes off homeowner occupiers and putting them on the rental market, effectively increasing the supply of rental properties net effect of those two events is we'll probably see rents soften a little bit in the first six months of next year. So those people are looking for yields and investing in yields. And it's interesting that with the bank interest, for instance, that people are now starting to say, well, I can buy my residential property and get 4 and 5%. It's not hard to get 5% yield over residential property. Mm. And um, I think the low bank yields are forcing people into other investments, whether it be shares or, or residential property. Um, interestingly, though, I think that um, the consequence of, of all the stimulus packages that we've seen, particularly the money being thrown around, is that I think there's going to be some strong upward pressure on interest rates at some stage in the future. And I think that could be partially from inflation if employment stopped, unemployment stopped rising and was, and was stable. Mm. But I think that the, the competition for money will be very fierce. When you consider there's a trillion dollars worth of mortgages in Australia, the government's come out and said we were going to borrow about $300 billion, increasing just in Australia alone the net demand for money by 30%. Multiply that around the world. And the competition for money from governments and individuals, I think, will put the price of it up, being 
nine with the interest rate. Okay. One feature with Gavin, of course, is talking about neighbourhoods, where you live, where you want to buy, where you're thinking of investing or selling. It's a really good way of uh, getting some information. His knowledge of just about all those uh, areas is encyclopedic. One double nine double two seven twenty. He does. He knows. He knows what kind of tree is at the end of any given street. One double nine double two seven twenty. Let us know if you've got a question on that front. Um, this is Joel. Good morning to you, Joel. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. How can we help? Um, um, what would like to know what instrument a self-managed super fund can use to profit from a falling market. Because as I understand it, a super fund uh, can't borrow, and most of the instruments involve leverage or, in effect, borrowing. So, what what can a self-managed super fund trustee do um, if he thinks the market's going down? Joel, it's Nick here. Um, look, there may be some managed investment products and funds out there which which get involved in that. Um, some of the the more aggressive hedge funds and stuff. Obviously, you've got the higher risks involved with it. And in fact, I guess another way that it can profit, and I've, I've really only seen this occur in the, the very large funds, is that they actually lend their shares to those people that are involved in short selling and in fact uh, receive a fee. And short selling is where you're predicting the, the price of a share will fall in value, so you actually uh, sell a share that you don't have to buy at a later point in time when it's cheaper and therefore profit from that. Um, so that's really the only two ways. Uh, Bevan may be aware of some other you know, unique products developed out there that can be accessed via self-managed super funds? Uh, not necessarily a product, but, uh, I mean, options. Uh, you know, it's not something that's very exotic. As long as your superannuation fund strategy allows you to uh, transact in options, but you can basically buy a put option over the index. So if you think that the index is going to go down, uh, you buy a put option and hopefully you profit from that as the index falls. So it's a fairly simple method, but uh, you just need to check your superannuation fund strategy that it allows you to do that. And, and that could always be rewritten if it's not there, I guess. Uh, yes, it's up to the trustees if they'd like yeah. to change that. Thanks, gentlemen, for your help. Good luck to you, Joel. We'll take one more before we go to some headlines, then get the finance details, and then come back with some more wise words from our wise men. This is interesting. I'm not sure who Keith can put this to. I think he can put it to all three of you. Good morning, Keith. Thank you for taking my call, gentlemen. I'm a 70-year-old person, and uh, I own my own home. Yes. And I don't have any debt. Uh, I'm looking at, I have uh, 320k invested at 8.5 daily and credited monthly, which is returning me about uh, 2.3 to 2.5 per month. It matures in August. I'm worried that uh, in August, when it matures, if I reinvest, I'm probably not going to get 8.5, but maybe only about 3.6%. What would the uh, gentleman advise me to do with the uh, cash term deposit? Very interesting question because we can talk about stocks, we can talk about property, and we can talk about other investments. Mr Bruning first. Well, look, I'm, Keith, I'm always one that believes in that you only take as much risk as you need to do the job. And if the job for you, Keith, is to have a reasonable income and perhaps it's combined with some social security benefits, and if you're single, that's going to be going up in uh, September by about 65 bucks a fortnight, um, thanks to the pension rise. Um, then you, you know there's no need to go out chasing high levels of risk if that's if it's going to achieve uh, what you want it to do. Um, the problem with going out from anything other 
than a bank account is that uh, you're immediately exposing yourself to uh, to higher returns, yeah, but also uh, higher uh, higher risk, and that's the downside of any of those sorts of uh, any moves beyond bank accounts. So I take a look at things in August. I mean, uh, it sounds like uh, it's not that far away, but rates do move around, and as um, Gavin was alluding to, there may be pressure on interest rates, and uh, certainly some of the longer term market rates on mortgages and stuff are already showing an increase into next year, and you never know that might be starting to flow through to deposit rates by then. What about investing in property, Gavin? Well, I suppose the options there that um, it would be probably a one-bedroom unit or a bed-sit unit in a inner-city location, you'd probably get back a 5% yield on, on that, um, and you could buy that for the, th the th under $300,000. Um, so that would probably be your only real option unless you wanted to take on borrowings, which at probably 70 years plus you're probably not wanting to do that. Mm. So, um, and so you're looking at probably better than bank yields, uh, protected by residential security, um, but certainly not near the uh, the eight percent or eight and a half percent. Okay, and Bevan, the roller coaster ride that has been investing in the share market, um, are there some stocks that are returning the kind of yields that Keith would uh, get some benefit from? Well, there certainly are many stocks that are that are fairly good yields these days. But as Nick was saying, you're, you're really looking at a different risk level there mm. going into equities. I mean, some of the banks, for instance, do offer preference share type arrangements that do pay pretty good yields. So I guess sometimes if you're comfortable enough putting your money in the bank, sometimes investing in these may be okay, but it's still, it's not government guaranteed and all those sorts of things. So for me, the, it really comes down to that risk in August. Uh, but if it's money that you need to live on, I wouldn't be putting at much risk. Okay. What do you think, Keith? Gentlemen, I thank you for covering the whole rambit of it all for me. That gives me something to think about come August. Thank you again for your, uh, for your guidance. Good on you, Keith. Thank you for that. Nick Bruning, Gavin Hegney and Bevan Sturgis-Smith are my guests on this Thursday as we're acknowledging the fact the financial year is about to come to an end. We'll take more of your calls. one three hundred triple two seven twenty 222720 SMS 1992720. If you're thinking of buying property, if you're thinking of investing in property, if you're just trying to work out... Which which part of the map of Perth and Western Australia is providing good land yields? Give us a call. Chaps, to Nick, the property investment trust market, what is the future of this market? Asks Richard in Marmion. Um, look, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. And just to explain what happens, these are the uh, almost the leftovers from the 1980s when we had these unlisted property trusts where uh, companies got out there and bought up buildings or a series of buildings and sold them off to investors as units. And back in the 80s, you had this problem where all this money piled in and the, uh, the valuations on these things went through the roof because basically Fund A was being sold or sold their assets to Fund B, which sold it on to Fund C, and suddenly the prices went through the roof. Um, they then became listed on the stock exchange, so they come under Bevan's domain, I guess. And so we've now got these uh, listed property trust vehicles out there, which basically are listed on the stock exchange, but they're directly linked to, uh, to real property out mm. there in the market. Um, look, certainly it's, it's one of the things that we've been talking about, actually, Jeff, off air, um, is, is the price of some of these real estate investments, and particularly in commercial real estate. And certainly there is a concern in some sectors that uh, these unlisted assets aren't fairly valued. In other words, we've got particularly superannuation funds, which might have been showing a, a building in Collins Street being worth $50 million two years ago, you know, 
funnily enough, now it's only worth $48 million and you really question whether it's only dropped $2 million or mm. maybe they should have put it in there as $30 million in value. So uh, certainly uh, these things seem, seem to swing from one extreme to the other and, and there is a view out there at the moment that some of them are pretty good value. When you look, particularly look at the yields, which is effectively the rents that are being paid to these commercial properties versus the price of the uh, of the uh, the unit price and therefore the assets inside it, they look pretty good. So I think uh, you need to do your homework and find out about the individual holdings and whether they are re- re- regarded as fair value. But uh, I don't know, Gavin might have a, a different view. Well, actually, it's quite interesting because um, the, uh, the once you take a property asset and put it into a trust structure and, and, a, and a align it with the share market, it takes on different characteristics. And quite often there's a misalignment, particularly at the moment I see, for instance, the physical property might be valued at a dollar per unit effectively, but in, in the trust, you might be able to buy it for about 40 cents, and it might be yielding something like 18 cents over the last year, which is a pretty high yield. Now, if you bought the physical property, you pay a dollar, you buy it in a trust, and you buy it for 40% of the of the market value. Now, that says to me there's some opportunity. The markets, the technical term would be they're out of whack at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just see that there's probably there's an opportunity for the astute investor, the, for the portable investment dollar going across all range of assets to actually actually do quite well in the next 12 months from some of this misalignment that we're seeing. Okay. And, and I was just going to say, some of those bigger listed property trusts in the last little while have also had to raise capital. Some of their debt covenants have lowered because of the a reduction in the values of their assets, and they've been raising capital. So their balance sheets are now a lot stronger. The values are still holding, and people have been able to acquire some of these listed property trusts at pretty good prices. So, Bevan, in your experience, do the do the, the values that you see attached to them on the market actually pretty closely reflect their intrinsic values? Or well, that's often, the big question. Often not. And I would have to say that some of the ones recently where they've raised capital, the price that you've been able to buy them at probably doesn't really reflect the true value. It's probably a very nice discount. And that's because of cash flow problems? Or? Well, it's more the capital issue and debt covenants. Sometimes the bankers are putting pressure on them to raise the capital. Uh, Bevan, uh, Jared wants to know shares in Sundance. Why are they not performing on the stock market? They appear to have a solid balance sheet. Yes, well, a company like Sundance, now from memory, this is a company trying to develop an iron ore asset, I believe in Ethiopia or some African country. Um, While their balance sheet may be okay, it really comes down to the country that they're in, whether they can develop the asset, what funds they have to put in place in terms of infrastructure, and sometimes in some of these countries it's a lot. So while we don't have a specific recommendation or research on it, I think it's more than just the balance sheet with Sundance. Okay. John, good morning. Uh, morning, uh, Jeff and expert team. Uh, thanks for taking our questions this morning. It's a property uh, tax uh, deduction question. In Victoria Park, a uh, bought a block with a house on the front, and we're subdividing it to build a rental property at the back. Um, can I claim uh, on the front house, can I claim the agent fees and the... Um, uh, the um, stamp duty uh, off, the, off, off, off the tax return and off the rear portion, can I claim the subdividing cost? There's a bit of eye movement going on here, John. It's probably more an accounting question, and, and it probably, um, and it probably yeah. certainly stems back to your ownership structure and, and how you've set it up. For instance, if you've built the front property and been a, a principal residence, then the answer would probably be no. If you've set it up in a different structure, um, perhaps through company or trust, etc., then the answer may well be a hybrid of yes. So oh, that's the, the front house is being rented. So can I ask a question, John? Did you, have you lived in the place, or was, was it bought as an investment? It's bought as an investment, and the the existing building is being rented out. 
Yeah, look, look, this is one I think you're going to have to throw at your accountant with detail. My suspicion is that they would be capital costs along the way, which are part of the the calculation in your capital gain when you ultimately sell the property. But uh, and again, it's the fact that it was available for rent and has some other things, but they're not intrinsic in the rental business, if you like. They're more about the development of the property. So my gut feeling is probably not deductible, but I think you need to go and have a chat with an accountant about it. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, John, thank you. Jim's got a slightly easier one. Um, I can almost hear the questioning tone. Am I still eligible for the $900 bonus if I do my tax return by the 30th of June for the 0607 year? Um, it was payable on the 0708 year. So, yeah, in fact, it's one of Let's just encourage you yeah, to do no, it we'll anyway. Do it. Well, it was one of the spin-off benefits that I put to people in the tax office that they might gather more than they sow because yeah. by the time people put in their tax returns, they might discover they might they owe more than the 900 bucks with penalties. For the gyms of this world who we'll describe as a little tardy, but mm. there are plenty of gyms out there, um, do you just recommend just do it, just get it done? Otherwise, don't you still risk penalty? Well, you do, Jeff, if you if uh, you owe them, but the number of times that we see folks that haven't put in their tax return and then and they'd get a fall bit back. flat when they, yeah, on their face when they've just discovered they're due for hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars in tax refunds, mm. um, suddenly they, they look pretty silly for not paying 75 or $100 to get it sorted out, you know, back then. There you are, Jim. So put it in. No, you won't get the $900, but who knows what you might get back. Could be a bill. Could be a cheque. Hello, George. Yeah, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, Silver Lake share, gold shares, uh, they but they uh, seem to be pretty well cash cashed up on their work. Was that Silver Lake? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, well that's not a company I know much about, but I. I trying to remember, I think they might have raised some capital recently. But I guess with a gold explorer these days, you've just got to really look at the uh, quality of the ground that they've got and some of the results and, and are they going to be able to get it out of the ground economically. I mean, that's, at the moment with those sorts of companies, apart from having enough cash in the bank, you've really just got to look at the quality of the project. Oh, okay, then, guys. Well, thanks very much. Okay, okay, mate. Thank you. Uh, good day, Jeff and guests. The family home is about to be sold. I'm looking to buy a small place. Close to my work towards Fremantle, I earn $50,000 a year. Is there an area you could suggest that will hold its value? I'll have approximately $300,000 to put on it. I don't want to borrow more than I can afford. Thank you very much, Linda. Well, Linda, it's actually interesting that um, that you're in the Fremantle area because we're seeing the Coogee Marina forge ahead and uh, and basically turn a disused industrial area into a into a, what will be a pleasant marina with all the facilities attached to it. So I suppose in the course of time it'll look something like a hillage marina and we've seen what happens to values when you when you do something like that. So if you can buy within a close proximity of that in the course of time as the area upgrades, uh, you'll, you'll be uh, chasing it up along the way. If you want to go further south, there was an announcement yesterday with the 2031 plan that one of the nodes will be around uh, Rockingham and so Rockingham in itself will be become a, a regional node and, and all the upgrading that goes along with that. So that would also be another good option and well within that price range as well. So there's some pretty good options and, and keep you within a close proximity of Fremantle as well. Splendid work at 14 minutes to 10. Nick, Gavin and Bevan here to answer your questions. Stephen, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good, thank you. We're good. Um, I read in the paper about the um, government giving uh, tax breaks to small businesses who uh, purchase flight and equipment over $10,000. And a friend of mine with a small business just bought a vehicle. Um, and I'm just wondering how you actually realise the tax benefit from buying that. Yes, look, <laughs> Steve, I, 
there is a great deal of confusion, and I'm going to not help it by saying I'm not absolutely <laughs> sure myself. Look, I, I, and no doubt we'll get 300 accountants about to ring up, about to ring up and tell us how it does work. Um, look, it's certainly about, I think, getting your 30% or extra 50% tax deduction uh, over and above what you could normally claim. Look, one thing I'd point out to folks that uh, with all these incentives, whether they be superannuation or tax breaks for small business, whatever they are, uh, you've got to be able to afford it in the first place. And sometimes we pursue some of these butte schemes without really looking at the uh, the affordability of the whole whole exercise and uh, often you discover that you suddenly go out and buy the new car and uh, you don't have enough money to pay for it because business has slowed down a little bit so irrespective of what what the the deal is just make sure that you're in a position to be able to do it um, but as I say I think it works something like an extra 50% over and above what you could normally claim uh, but we'll no doubt get 300 calls in the next minute telling me otherwise <laughs> Does that help, Steve? much. No, that, that's great. Thanks. Good on you. Richard, good morning. Oh, good morning, Jeff. It's just regarding self-managed super funds. Uh, I know the guys uh, had a question on it earlier on, but I went to a presentation not too long ago by the uh, National Australia Bank, and they have products there uh, and legislation is now available so for super self-managed super funds to actually borrow. Yeah, I have. I've been to a similar presentation and um, and seen that there are some products about. Some of the accountants are questioning the detail and not seeing that the detail's in place yet, and so it's still some question marks over it. But the products already exist, so it's it's quite surprising that um, uh, the the banks are very quickly onto this. And look, I think it's a very high growth area once that's sorted out exactly what what is and isn't allowed uh, and the criteria for a super fund to borrow. Um, because I think people will be looking to reclaim some of the losses they've made in their super funds over the last 12, 12 months or so, mm. and, and gearing conservatively into a astute investment can actually improve the returns and, and can actually um, perhaps help replace some of those losses that, that, that are sitting there. So it's probably fairly timely, although obviously with gearing is you can lose it quicker than you can make it mm. if it goes against you. So the risks are probably slightly higher. If you're confident in what you're investing in, it all comes down to that at the end of the day. Mr Burning. That's the point I was going to make is that uh, gearing involves risk and that one should always take that into account. Look, the, the, these uh, products, and I presume they're a variant of warrants and stuff, which were kind of a, a loophole that someone discovered in the legislation because the, the laws re with respect to superannuation funds are still quite explicit. You cannot borrow except for very limited circumstances within a superannuation fund. So these uh, derivative products, if you like, have emerged that would allow you to get around the rules, so to speak. So you do need to be a bit careful. And, and, and Gavin, quite right is that, that some of these accountants and lawyers are having a bit of a look at things and sort of saying well I'll just be a little bit careful uh, they seem to have the blessing of scent of some sorts with the tax office because they haven't shut them down uh, just yet but uh, as I say just exercise caution with these sorts of things Terrific <laughs> Richard is already exercising caution I think this one might be for Bevan. Steve good morning Oh g'day fellas yeah, just got a query about the uh the rights issues that uh, Rio's just sent out. Um, I've only got a few shares, so I don't have many options that I can pick up, but a, a friend of mine's got more options that he can afford to buy. It mentions in the fine print about transferring those rights. Just wondering how he goes about that, whether he can transfer them to anybody. Okay, well, first thing off, I have to declare I'm not allowed to give any advice on Rio, but you'll so find... You're quite busy in your other life, but yes. not very useful here. To That's be right. I'm That's going to right. try that myself next time. It's good. I can't say this. But I'm happy just to, to mention here that those rights for Rio actually ceased trading yesterday. 
So you've, you've probably missed the opportunity to be able to transfer or because you can buy and, or you could buy and sell those rights up until yesterday. So unfortunately, your friend now either has to take them up or not, um, doesn't have much choice. But generally with rights, there, are a, there is a period in which you can transfer them or buy and sell them. Oh, thanks, guys. Okay, Steve. Good morning to you, Graham. Yeah, good morning, uh, Jeff and the wise men. Um, I have uh, sold a property earlier in the year and made a good profit from it. Um, I also have shares which have uh, a reduced value. My question is, do I sell the shares and uh, try and reduce my capital gain, or do I wait for the shares, hang on to, the, to those to increase in value? Well, I guess it's a bit of a strategy you've really got to look at rather than an individual share issue uh, because you know, you've made a profit. That, that's fantastic. So you, you may have to pay tax, which you only do so because you've made money. Now, the choice to sell shares perhaps at a loss to offset that is just a decision you have to make about whether you want to pay the tax or not. Um, I mean, I don't know what the shares are. I mean, I'm still confident over time if they're quality shares, they'll probably go up. So, you know, selling them now may be premature just to, to cut your tax. So I think it's a, a big strategic sort of thing you need to look at. Unfortunately, you've only got a couple of days to, to consider it. But uh, yeah, it, it's certainly a, a strategy you could consider. But you know, you've got to look at the quality of the shares that you own and whether it's worth doing that. Graham, okay. Nicky, the other, the other point I'd make is, is just make sure you know what your actual tax liability is. I'm often surprised with people's understanding of how the capital gains tax legislation operates, and it is very, very confusing stuff, make no mistake. And uh, people often assume that they're going to be paying you know, $20,000, $30,000 in tax, and when it's actually uh, worked out in you know, a reasonable level of detail, they're down to sort of two or three grand. So if you haven't spoken to your accountant, you, didn't, you don't know exactly what your tax obligations are going to be as a result of this property sale. I'd, I'd find out and then maybe use that as a basis for a decision strategically whether you sell those shares or not. Okay, thank you. Uh, Harold, good morning. Good morning, how are you? We're particularly well. How can we assist you? Okay, very simple, sir. I'm uh, now retired and uh, together with my uh, wife, over 40 years, 45, and uh, unfortunately as life goes by, we're probably looking at a... Uh, diversion going apart again. Now, the problem what we really have here is when we sell our properties, which is in both our names, and uh, we often to have each one a separate one, so when we write it over, would that hit us hard, both of us, or, you know, because it's on 50-50 at the moment, and when we divide that and say, okay, you take this house, 100% now and said 50 and I take that one. Would we have to pay quite an enormous tax or what? what is the go on this, please? Um, Gavin may know more. It's Nick here. Usually, Harold, in those circumstances, you'll find that... Um, that under family court and family law provisions, there are there are various rollover reliefs available through the capital gains tax legislation. So if it's done with the consent orders or with uh, the orders of the family court, uh, you may find there is a certain transfer. But if you voluntarily sell those properties, then that may not necessarily defer it. So again, we seem to be flicking it off, but it might be one for uh, your family lawyer to explain the tax implications of that. I suppose it only had uh, probably two things to that, Harold. Uh, one, our divorce valuations in the business have gone through the roof. 
in the last six months. Uh, we've really, um, and it's not because we're gaining market share, it's just because divorces seem to be on the rise, and whether it's for whatever reason. Um, yeah, there is some provision there with uh, regards to transferring family home under family uh, law court. I would encourage you to seek uh, some legal advice on that because it, it may well be that you're not up for the same costs that um, would normally apply in, in, in uh, stamp duty, etc. So depending on your structure and how it's set up, etc. Um, so the, yeah, it's definitely worth investigating that one. Good luck to you, Harold. Now, uh, uh, good day, Jeff and panel. I'm sitting here sorting out my 0506 and 0607 tax returns for the accountant this afternoon. I'm pleased to hear from other correspondents to your show that I'm not the only procrastinator out there. Thank God for ABC Radio. It helps relieve the tedium of this chore. But to my fellow slackers, there are more enjoyable things to do than your tax. Leave it a bit longer and do something fun instead. <laughs> uh, that's from the fourth medal, member of our panel, and it's Joe. Good on you, Joe. Um, uh, Anne says, uh, for you, Gav, we're looking at Hamilton Hill as the prices have dropped. Will they return to what they were? Do a bit of crystal ball gazing. Yeah, well, Hamilton Hill is probably one of those areas, along with Spearwood, that will benefit from uh, the Coogee Marina in the course of time. And as I say, we saw this, what happened with Hillary's, etc. And we'll some, see the same things in the adjoining areas of that marina in the course of time. Yeah, and a similar question, really. Will the new Ocean Reef Marina boost Mullaloo house prices? And if so... How long will it take to filter through? Well, uh, you know, if you're a speculator, you'd buy now. If you're an investor, you'd wait for it to be announced and probably buy within walking distance to the new marina. I've had a look at the plans. They are, are quite substantial and they actually will add a lot of value to that precinct in the form of infrastructure. So uh, it's, um, it's interesting. There's a bit of a backlash and there's going to be some debate on what, how it final, finally looks. But, um, yeah, very substantial project. Okay. And for you, Bevan, uh, our correspondent is thinking of buying Gold and West resources, which have a big ore deposit in the Midwest. What do you think? Uh, well, without having a specific recommendation on that company, uh, if you think about gold as an asset class, I think it's, uh, it's reasonable to be looking to invest in. The challenge for that company will be whether they can uh, produce the gold economically, you know, get it out of the ground, uh, process it, and get it uh, to the market economically, and that, that's what you really need to look at. But the gold price should remain strong going forward. Beverly, I like your question. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd like to know how, how far back do uh, accountant registrars hold records for shares that you buy? Uh, we bought some years ago and had a couple of dividends and uh, nothing since then. I just wonder if they're still operating or if they've gone bust. Okay, well, usually share registries keep records for quite a while. Um, the company that uh, you, you had shares in, uh, you'd probably be able to find out the share registry from the, the last correspondence that you had, or you can you can probably call the company direct if they still exist. But certainly those records would be held somewhere. Uh, the only thing is if they do go back a fair way, sometimes the share registry might charge you a fee to search their archives. But so you should be able to find that information out. Thank you. Beverly, thank you. Um, gents, we have about a minute left. At the end of this financial year, it's hard to ask, really. Are you feeling more confident than you were last year? You were talking about all these divorces. I hope your relationships are all holding up okay. But, but uh, on, the, on the pure business side of things, do you feel that, that uh, we can at least see the bottom? Well, I suppose I could start from a personal business point of view. Uh, we have made many profits this year, I'll be quite frank, um, but we've adjusted expenses. We made a healthy profit last month, so we're feeling quite optimistic. We've made some people redundant, unfortunately. We'll probably be employing people moving forward. Very quickly, Beth. I, all I can say is it feels better.
Well, that's reassuring. Nick. Yeah, I'd agree. And uh, I think the fact that things have stopped tumbling down is a good sense and people feel a bit safer about the world and what's going up and what's coming into the future. Brilliant work. The three wise men, Nick Breen and Gavin Hegney and Bevan Sturgis-Smith. Chaps, thank you very much. And thank you to all of you who called in this morning. You were 7.20 ABC Perth.